0: Rome. Pardon me? Are you recording? I am, actually, yes. Thanks for checking. Um, verse, verse 30, Paul asks the question, what should we say then? You'll see in your Bible there, he asks this question, what should we say then? Obviously, if we're, we're right in the middle of a thought here. He goes on to say that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. Take note um, in that sentence there. There are several words in italics. And, and and read that sentence without the italicized words. It, it becomes just a tiny, tiny bit more blunt. Um, in the original Greek doesn't have these italicized words in it, so it would say, Why? Because not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be. Put to shame. Okay, so Romans 9:30 30 to 33 is meant to conclude um, what we've been working on for probably six or so different messages. And Romans 9 here has lamented over its introduction, is expressing some sorrow for the realization that most of the the national people Israel are not saved and so since that is true the the spirit through the apostle gives us some explanation as to why that is the case why is it that most of Israel is not saved the presumption as I know you'll recall is isn't all of Israel saved Because they are relatives to Abraham isn't, isn't that why they would be saved And you'll also note Take note in your notes And, and look for this in your reading Through the Bible this year The gospel writer John um, Gospel writer Matthew They record the Lord's words John the Baptist's words About Israel's expectation Of their relationship to Abraham Israel believed very strongly That since Abraham was their forefather Eternal life was a given They, they had misunderstood the scriptures And so therefore The Lord Jesus corrects their misunderstandings he teaches them what they missed and 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 corrects the errors while most of them wouldn't believe it most of them wouldn't receive it the lord jesus also talks about this wrong expectation that the jews had in their relationship to abraham and as you recall early in this chapter um The Spirit redefines Israel. Have a look there at verse 6 and you'll see that statement that says not all are Israel who are Israel. It's a very important concept for you as, as you are continuing to expand your knowledge and understanding of the gospel. There is this truth revealed to us here that there are two different kinds of Israel. Okay, and the reason that's important is this because many, many, many have believed that if you are in Israel, then you're saved, then you are God's people. And so the Lord tells us this that not all are Israel who are Israel there in that verse. There, and then the scripture goes on to say here in this chapter that. There is still an Israel who is going to be saved. It's a remnant. There's a remnant of Israel will be saved. And these ones are properly called Israel. In this chapter, it goes into a lot of uh, explanation as to who this real Israel is, who this true Israel is. Um, As you recall, the scripture clarifies reteaches this presumption. Who is real Israel? Who is real Israel? And as you're asking that question, you're also asking the question, who is really saved? Who's really a Christian? Who really has eternal life? That's what's being asked and addressed early. And then the way the scripture goes about beginning to answer this question, and this is where you and I learn a model. This is where we really learn to to guard our own hearts against making the wrong assumptions about scripture. Because they said, don't you remember, don't you know that not all of Abraham's children are Israel? And you have to acknowledge, with the Jews who would have been listening to this sermon, with the Jews and the Gentiles who are reading this text, you have to acknowledge, that's right. That's right. I've I've let my heart become a little bit careless about who who I think is, is even real Israel. Because Abraham had two children. And only one of them is the one through whom the promise was to come. And we read that early in this chapter. Abraham and Sarah were told that Abraham and Sarah would have a child. That's called a prophecy, right? If God sends an angel to you and says, Sarah will have a child this time, the following year, that's a prophecy. That's God revealing himself through prophecy. And did Abraham believe it? Well, actually, as we recall, Abraham and Sarah didn't believe it. And that's why Abraham was willing to sleep with Sarah's servant but you will also remember and we're reminded that God's word is clear please take this to your hearts God's word is clear and it's honestly it's easy to understand but it's not always easy to believe when God tells Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a child the reason they don't think that they're going to have a child is because they're so old And Sarah has never had a child. She's barren. And so it seems impossible. So remind yourself of this truth that that we're being reminded of and taught here in in this chapter. That when God says he's going to do something, you're, you're right to carefully read it, carefully understand it, and then believe it. But Abraham and Sarah didn't believe it. And then... The scripture also reinforced this very same lesson in the same context here with another mother, Rebecca, and that she would have two children. And and the reason the spirit reveals this by Paul is so that again, you would remember, you would be taught again that God is building Israel, but not through all the children. You see, Rebecca had twins. And Rebecca was also visited with a, a prophetic word. And God's word said to her, The older will serve the younger. The older will not be the one through whom Israel is going to take its name. Israel will not come from that line. This is actually really crucial and I believe really depended on for the whole Gospels. If you would look at um, Matthew chapter 1, you can make a note to yourself, we won't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew lists off the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so the implication there is is that the nation Israel, the whole nation knows that there is a line of people, a clan of people through whom come the blessing of the Messiah. The whole nation knows and is expecting, and you know who's in there? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not Ishmael, not Esau. But it's being retaught again here. The Jews have, have stumbled over this issue. The Jews have not understood who real Israel is, who true Israel is. And let's, let's restate this for our vernacular, our context. You must understand who the promise of eternal life is for. You must understand that. Who is God's blessing for? How is it had? And this is what's being addressed and answered in this chapter. Have a look there at uh, chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. We went over this last month. It shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. Now these are words, um, if I'm not mistaken, to Hosea. Look at your cross note. Yeah, it's Hosea uh, chapter 1 and verse 10. Um, It shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. Remember Hosea had two different children and and the names of these children were were meant to picture the, the judgment that was coming on Israel. You are not my people is one of the judgments that was coming on Israel. and So this prophecy here in 9 is being reminded to the Jews and the Jews are listening, the people who who feel like they've been believing and trusting in God's word. They're hearing this and, and the prophet says, it'll come to pass in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Okay, so in that same place that they heard prophetically the judgment, someday among the same people would also be a promise of a blessing and then verse 27 goes to another prophet look at verse 27 Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea the remnant will be saved so you see this prophet also acknowledges many many people of Israel but true Israel is a small number true Israel is a remnant you see that That's this teaching where we're learning to redefine Israel. We're learning to re-understand it, to, to be taught who is going to rightly expect salvation and eternal life. When we make it this far into the book of Romans, and when we make it to this point of Romans chapter 9 that we're looking at this morning, At verse 30, you see the question again. What shall we say then? And he says, The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Mark the word righteousness here. Righteousness is the ultimate question regarding who is to be expecting eternal life. Who can have eternal life? Who is saved? Who is saved? That's the question. How does one have righteousness? And so in closing Romans chapter 9, when he asks the question, what shall we say then? He's he's reflecting back over all of the contents of Romans chapter 9 that addresses these issues of election, mercy, hardening, very... Uh, deep and, 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 and serious issues of theology being addressed there and then what should we say then what's the answer to all this how do we summarize all of this that we have been talking about and that and that the spirit has been teaching righteousness what is the summary of all this Righteousness, he says. Look at your Bible again. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness. The need for righteousness has not driven unbelieving Israel to find true righteousness. I think that's a fair summary of what is going to be addressed here in these last couple lines. Israel, who is national Israel, but not true Israel, they have not been driven to find true righteousness. So it says, what shall we say then? What shall we say then? What is the answer to all this? What is the answer to the election of, of, of Isaac? and jacob what what is the meaning of all this talk about hardening and and nothing to do with man's will or effort but god's mercy what is the answer to all this what should we say to all of this let's let's bring this now back to a conclusion the gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness and and your bible I believe it's going to say even the righteousness of faith and if that's what your bible says um, you might make a little note in your margin and write the word but there but even instead I, I think it's a little bit more clear and i'll explain why here in a moment so don't or don't scratch it out but just make a little note and say but the righteousness of faith they did not pursue righteousness they have attained a righteousness but the righteousness of faith. They have found a different kind or a contrasting kind of righteousness. And what he is going to talk about here, he's, he's kind of dropping this question or, or these matters. He's dropping these matters of election. He's not speaking about election and hardening now. He's speaking about righteousness. And actually what you're going to see in these two lines here are two different paths to righteousness. And this is where you really want to pay special attention. I really want to encourage you. Please listen carefully to how he is going to contrast two different kinds of righteousness. Okay? There are two paths of it. And the, the, the contrast is made between... He calls them Gentiles here. The Greek word is ethnos. And you can hear the word ethnicity in that word, right? He says the, the Gentiles have attained it or the Gentiles have reached it. The ethnicity or the peoples is another way we could say it. The peoples have reached it. But the Jews have not attained it. Okay. He says, they have reached the righteousness, but the righteousness of faith. There, that word but is a contrasting word. It, the, the Greek word here says D-E, day. And you can legitimately translate D-E, day, with the word but. And I think you'll see why. I think it's, it's helpful to, to, to change that word. Verse 31, if you look down in your Bible, begins with that very same Greek word. Day, you see it, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. So, what the spirit is contrasting for you is something called the law, I'm sorry, the righteousness of faith, and then the law of righteousness. There are two kinds of righteousness being compared here. And that's why I think the word but is the most clear. It's helpful. The Gentiles have attained it, they've attained to righteousness. But the righteousness of faith. And what kind of righteousness have the Jews pursued? The law of righteousness. And they have not attained it. So these two things are going to be contrasted for us in these last few thoughts of the chapter. These two things are similar. So notice the similarities and then get it into your head and get it into your heart that it is the similarity of these two things, which in a sense helps the Jews stay wrong. It helps them stay confused on the issue because I'm going to tell you right now, you must have righteousness the thing you need to stand before God's throne at the end of the age, to, to pass the moment of judgment, is righteousness. You must possess righteousness or God will find you lacking You you will be weighed in the balance and found wanting if you do not possess perfect righteousness. So the Jews are right in desiring righteousness and even in pursuing righteousness. The Lord Jesus taught in in the Beatitudes, remember he says, Blessed are, the Lord says, blessed are, Matthew chapter 5, and then I forget what chapter it is in Luke. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness for you shall be satisfied now when the lord preached that to an audience of jews being hungry for righteousness doesn't that kind of almost give you pictures of somebody who's going to go out and look for something to eat called righteousness if you are hungering for righteousness don't you got to go find some so you can have it if you're hungry for it see Leanne and Natalia just got back from church a a little bit ago this morning and they said that the the pastor where they were at this morning he was talking about this section of Beatitudes and it fit in perfectly with what I was hoping to teach today there is a drive in a person who's hungry for something like when you're hungry you don't just sit there in your easy chair and do nothing Or you you, you don't just drive past the next little uh, exits on the freeway where there's an in and out over there, which is like one of my favorite places to go get a burger, right? They don't have it out here. I sure wish they did. So if you're hungry for something, you go get something to satisfy your hunger. If you're thirsty for something, you need to go find something to satisfy your thirst. So the Lord Jesus taught in his, in his preaching ministry, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Why? Because when you're hungry for something, you don't stop looking for it until you are found something to satisfy your hunger. You don't stop looking for food when you're hungry. Unless you're like the ultimate, most lazy person in the universe. We would probably joke about people who are too lazy to go find something to eat when they're starving. Blessed are those. The Lord talks about and contrasts by the Spirit through the prophet here in what we're reading in Romans that there are these two kinds of righteousness. For the national Israelite, He is striving to be a good Jew. And he does right. The good Jew is not a murderer and an adulterer. The good Jew is going to do the things that the law requires. He also hopes and and trusts that Abraham, being his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is the reason they're rightly hoping in eternal life. Their their trust in their goodness and their trust in their relationship to Abraham is 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 a great reassurance to them. Understanding that there is such a thing as unrighteousness and trying to do good is at the heart of almost every religion, isn't it? If, if you recognize what's bad and, 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 and you think what lying is bad or stealing is bad, Christians aren't the only people who say that. Jehovah's Witnesses say that. Mormons say that. Buddhists would say that. So in other words, you don't have to be a Christian to want to do right That is being contrasted in these last couple lines of Romans chapter 9. The Jews pursued the law of righteousness. The Gentiles, what does it say that the Gentiles had done? They did not pursue righteousness, but they attained it. Even the righteousness of faith, or, but the righteousness of faith. The Gentiles attained it. The righteousness of faith. Many, many people in our day that you and I live in would be very similar to these Jews who have pursued the righteousness according to the law. They have pursued righteousness of the law. And they have no idea what righteousness by faith means. Many people in our day and age are in this same boat. People who like to do right. People who know the difference between right and wrong. Being right in that way will not get you eternal life. You understand that, right? You can't bring to the Lord your list of good things you've done. You can't bring to the Lord your your, 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 your kind acts of charity. You can't show the Lord that you, you volunteered in a hospital or You've given medicine to sick people. These, these things are not going to be a ticket into eternity. None of those things are. But you must possess righteousness. <clears throat> you can be a Bible reader. You can love right and wrong. You can go to church. And still be seeking righteousness in error. Because that's what the Jews were. That's what the Pharisees were. They are Bible readers. They go to synagogue. They bring their offerings to the offering box. You've got to learn to see that the Pharisees are, 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 are not just... Wicked foreign people to you and I. They are people who misunderstood, did not believe how to attain righteousness in Christ by faith. They did not understand it, they did not grasp this fundamental thing. Those who have spiritual integrity and honesty will search the scriptures. We will search the scriptures for righteousness. We will seek the Lord for righteousness. We will long for righteousness and we will grieve at our unrighteousness. This this hunger and thirst for righteousness is a real thing that drives people to Christ. Righteousness must be one of the goals of our lives. It really must be. But it's easy to get it wrong. It's easy to misunderstand how we're going to do this. And the closing words here are on this subject. He approaches this issue of faith and stumbling. Verse 32 answers the question, why haven't the Jews attained to righteousness? How come they haven't reached it? How come they haven't been able to grab it and grasp it the way the Gentiles did? Why have the Gentiles succeeded where Israel, and and let let me clarify national Israel, where national Israel has failed? Why is that so? How did that happen? And, and as you're thinking about this question with me, just keep bringing your, your your mind and your eyes back to the text of the scripture here. This is a really, this is a vitally important question because we're coming right up into the 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 most fundamental questions about the gospel. When we're asking these questions, the Jews missed it, you guys. The Jews missed it, and yet they had they had a better knowledge of the Bible than you do. And they were generally speaking very good people. How did they miss it? Begins to answer the question at verse 32. Why? Question mark? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law for they stumbled at that stumbling stone as it is written behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of a fence did you see that someone is laying a stone down that is a stumbling stone did you see that who's laying that down who's setting that down God It is God himself that is setting something down that's called a stumbling stone. Now, you don't have to be a great scholar to know or figure out what a stumbling stone is. What is a stumbling stone? It's it's a stone that makes people stumble. It's a stone that makes people trip. They lose their balance. They lose their footing, right? So when we read this, In verse 33, the Spirit here, remember, Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, in defense of what had been said in verse 32, saying they didn't seek it by faith. They didn't seek righteousness by faith. That's not how they went after it. The only way to go after it by faith is in Christ. Well, why didn't they seek it by faith? Why didn't they go after it by faith? That's why he says in verse 33, as it is written, he's, he's proving to you that that they should have even expected this. The Jews should have known this. You should know this. It's in your Bible. Why, why didn't they? Why? Why didn't they pursue it by faith? Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So, the first word we're going to really consider is the word seek in verse 31. They did not seek it. They weren't driven to find it. They didn't labor to find it. They did not seek to find it. Seeking is searching. Seeking is a drive, right? They didn't seek it that way. They didn't pursue it that way. They did pursue it, though. How did they pursue it? How did they go after it? They went after it by the law. They went after it by the law. They, their, their concept of righteousness was found in the law. They pursued it by the law. Or in other words, the the action of any particular law keeping that they may have kept. The the, the, the chief laws in, in the top of the Ten Commandments Have to do with your right behavior toward God Not blaspheming, not taking God's name in vain Keeping the Sabbath or, or in other words, making sure you set aside that holy day Where you honor the Lord as your God Okay? Those are the first four Five through ten are commandments that have to do with you And, and people in your family Or you and your neighbors Lying, stealing These kinds of commands And so in pursuing righteousness By the law This is why the Jew will know he is righteous He will say to himself I have not blasphemed the name of our Lord I have no images in my home that, 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 that are meant to be a representation of God and therefore blaspheme Him. This is how they are pursuing their righteousness. As they successfully do the right things and as they successfully don't do the things they're not supposed to do, then they are assured in their hearts that they are righteous and they are pursuing their righteousness. Even the life of a believer Even you and I as, as we pursue righteousness It is a work in progress The scriptures teach you and I To confess our sins The scriptures teach us To give thanks in all things The scriptures teach us To give to one another To love one another We are to be pursuing righteousness In that manner But we can never bring those things to the Lord and say, see, Lord, I've done it. See, Lord, I have accomplished it. See, Lord, now I have shown you that I am righteous. That will never, ever be our righteousness before the Lord. Christ is your righteousness. Your belief in Christ is your righteousness. Everybody is pursuing Believer and unbeliever. There are, you, you You can think of the unbelievers you know, and most of them will have at least a short list of things they would never do because they're bad. And the reason they won't do them is because they are pursuing righteousness. Some of your friends will never commit murder because they know that's bad. Some of your friends will never and then fill in the blank. Some of your friends will likely be more ethical than you are, and they they aren't even a believer there There are many very ethical unbelievers because they believe it's right to do right. everybody is pursuing righteousness, and right now, this contrast between the seeking of the believer and the seeking of the unbeliever they're being strongly contrasted so that we can understand why haven't they attained it well the scripture here says it's because they've been given a stumbling stone there's a stumbling stone laid before him John 5.39 will be familiar when we look at it but you might not have thought about it in this context John 5.39 is an accusation The Lord Jesus is speaking to a, a group of people who are seekers of righteousness. He's speaking to people who wish to be known as right before the Lord. So John 5.39, he says to them, you search the scriptures, or we might use the word seek, you seek. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Look at what kind of devoted religious people these are. How they labor to know God's word. How, how they desire to have eternal life. You see that? But then the Lord Jesus finishes this thought and he says, And these are they which testify of me. Don't read your Bibles and be students of the Bible with the wrong Ultimate goal and intent. We must read and know and study the scriptures to know Christ. If you miss the intent and, and, and the goal of our Bible reading, you will end up being like a Pharisee. The scriptures are to point us to Christ. Reading and study of the Word is meant to lead you to Christ and a faith in Him. Christ is the Savior, listen, because He is the righteousness that God requires. Christ is the Savior because He is the righteousness that God requires. Remember, the subject in these last lines is about righteousness. It's about righteousness, the righteousness of faith, or the righteousness that is by the law. Christ is the righteousness that you need and you must have. Seeking righteousness, your desire for righteousness, and your walking in righteousness is not legalism. Properly understanding that the Lord Jesus is our righteousness. Properly understanding that is faith in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15 is a a word written to the young pastor. 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly cutting the word of truth. The the word of truth, rightly used, rightly understood, will bring you to Christ. Will bring you to despair of your own sin, certainly, but it will bring you to Christ. Bring you to hope in the righteousness of Christ. So this instruction to Timothy to search the Scriptures, to study the Scriptures, to be diligent in the Scriptures, is not so that they can be smart, not so that they can be cocky with everything they know or be able to quote verses. It's so that they can know how the Scripture, how the Spirit speaks to you and I as sinners who need a Savior. We need to know why and how we need a Savior. We need to know how it is that we can truthfully claim that we've come to possess the righteousness of Christ. And then to rightly be hoping in eternal life. Verse 33 is quoting Isaiah 8 14 and 15 and Psalm 118. In other words, Isaiah 8:14 and 15 are words that Jews should be aware of and should know. So when, when he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. These are words that Isaiah had written down. Like I said earlier, almost a thousand years before the Christ. It's probably about 750, 760 years before Christ. The prophet Isaiah speaks about God laying in Zion a stumbling stone. Okay? Psalm one eighteen twenty-two is the section that says whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. Psalm one eighteen and twenty two is it's it's actually a theme in the scriptures that if you actually put your hope and trust in God, you will not be ashamed. Look with me. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 21. We'll look at a couple of lines here. Matthew 21, verse 42. Matthew 21, 42. The Lord Jesus for the last three years of his life, was almost always preaching. And so he's saying these words here. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? Obviously, he knows they have read it in the scriptures. He knows they should have read it in the scriptures. And here's what he said. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was... The Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord Jesus quoting this same passage to the Pharisees again, to people who know the scripture but were mispursuing their righteousness. The stone, this stone that the builders rejected, is the same as the stumbling stone when you when you find a excellent or when you can make an excellent cornerstone an excellent building stone it is the stone you wish to have and and form and build all of your building because of how true its edges are how how solid it is how square it is in all three dimensions the the building stone like this is actually a very very valuable stone because of how it helps the final result be just right. But this is the stone that the builders rejected. The Pharisees are the, the teachers and the, and the conservative Bible scholars of Jesus' day. And they reject the Christ. They reject the offer of righteousness by faith in Christ. They reject that He is the Messiah Chapter 9 and verse 16 back in Romans. Flip back to Romans 9. This is another subject that's raised that we have considered in some depth already. But verse 16, he said, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. Or in other words, Ultimately, God's blessing and salvation Is contingent on God's mercy If God does not show you mercy You cannot be saved That's the, that's the theme of those lines As we are reading that And it teaches you and I To rightly acknowledge God in his mercy If he's opened your eyes to the gospel Has he opened your eyes to your sinfulness? Has he drawn you to himself with some shame and with some hope in forgiveness and life? Man is unable by his will alone to come to God and be saved. That's one of the strong themes in this section of Romans here. That's why this mention of God's mercy is so central in this chapter of of Romans. Ultimately, when we read these two or three lines here about righteousness and the righteousness of faith and the righteousness by the law, you and I must ask the question, how do we pursue righteousness? How are we pursuing righteousness? And it's, it's like we were speaking of from the Beatitude a moment ago, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. How are you going about this? What does this look like in your own life? Your answer to this question is a little bit of insight as to whether or not Christ is a stumbling stone to you. When you think about how you are pursuing righteousness... Your answer to this question helps you understand what the stumbling stone is, what this means. The Christ and Christ's life is deeply necessary, fully necessary, for any and all hope of righteousness. Christ and His life is necessary. The gospel paints all men as sinners, right? Who 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 are worthy of death because of their sinfulness. The early the early lines of the book of Romans says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The early lines of this book magnify man's need for righteousness because he's born a sinner he's born a sinner the gospel reveals us to be born as a sinner now this is why this is why the Christ can be a stumbling stone to people the Savior, the word Christ means anointed and the the word is a Greek word and The Hebrew word is Messiah. So the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, comes to men and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, people who think well of themselves, people who think highly of themselves, cannot bear this preaching. They, they, They cannot bear his charge to them. They will not receive it. This is a stumbling stone. This makes people mad at the Lord Jesus. Most men believe they are good enough because they're better than the worst of their friends. And therefore, they come to God with their own righteousness. And so when Christ, or when John the Baptist, or when me as a preacher, or when you as a Christian say, it is your sin's that will bring you before God guilty and are the reason you will suffer forever eternally your sins. But don't despair. This is the gospel of God's good news. Sinners are offered forgiveness in Christ. But this is why the chief stone is also a stumbling stone. Men are divided. They're separated at this question. Men are divided into two camps over this issue. How are you pursuing righteousness? Are you good enough in your own efforts? Are you good enough in your own works? Is God pleased enough so that when you die tonight or tomorrow or next week, if, if your death is an unanticipated moment in the next week or two or month, and you come before the judge... Are you going to bring to Him your own righteousness? Or are you going to say, I have listened to the preaching of the gospel and I repent of my sin and sinfulness. And the Lord Jesus in His perfection is my hope of righteousness. And I know He is the Savior because He conquered death. He rose from the grave. He is the risen Savior. How are you pursuing righteousness? When you go to bed at night and and God convicts you of your meanness of your lying or of your theft or of your 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 ultimately mean sarcasm or your aloofness to to some kinds of needs that God had convicted you about when you go to bed at night and when you get up and you think about that, do you just turn your back on it or do you turn to the Lord and say Lord?" I've sinned. I'm, I'm 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 sinning and thinking like this. I'm sinning and behaving like this. How are you seeking righteousness? How are you seeking it? That's that's the big point that's being addressed in the end of this chapter here. The scripture through the prophet Isaiah, he he taught us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And what that means is that all of our good works, all of our good deeds, all of our things that we would do to serve the Lord, they're always going to be tainted with sin. They're always going to be salted some with our own self-exaltation. We'll be proud of ourselves for doing some kind deed. We'll be proud of ourselves for resisting some temptation. We will somehow or another... Probably without fail, taint all of our good deeds with sin. Sin in the form of pride or sin in the form of demeaning other men and women. The verse here, 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whoever believes on Him will never be put to shame. We'll think about shame here for just a moment as we're as we're closing up this meditation here. He Who believes on Him will never be put to shame. Your fleshly shame is in your sinfulness. Are all of us have things that we would be ashamed to speak about? in most company. All of us have things that we would be ashamed about. Your fleshly shame is in your sinfulness. Okay, He who believes in him will never be put to shame. Men don't like to mention their shamefulness to God. Men don't want to speak about their shamefulness to one another. It makes them feel ashamed. They don't bring their shames to God. But when you come to the Lord, and the gospel is preached, and God convicts you of your sin, you feel embarrassed about your sin, you feel guilty about your sin, you bring your sin to the Lord, and you confess your sin to the Lord. Your flesh tells you it's too shameful. Your flesh says, I can't admit this to anybody, yet alone God. But the last lines here say he who believes in him will never be put to shame this is what he's talking about men in their flesh cannot confess their sins to god they feel shame in it they feel they cannot be accepted because of it they feel they will not be accepted because of it your fleshly boast your 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 confidence is in your virtue What we're confident in is, I've got it together. I'm virtuous. I'm good enough. But trusting in Christ and believing Him for your righteousness is a full acknowledgement of your sinfulness. He who believes in Him will not be put to shame. When you come to the Lord and say, God, I've got no merit to bring to you. I've got nothing to boast about for you. I bring my sins in a wheelbarrow. I'm ashamed of my sins I'm guilty in my sin I deserve to die and I thank you and I praise you that the Lord Jesus was put to death for my sin the Lord Jesus died for my sin and in exchange God you have offered me your righteousness my belief in Christ is to receive his righteousness instead of my guilt so bring your shames to God bring your shame to God Confess your shame to God. Admit your shame to God. Ask Him for forgiveness. And this is our pursuit of righteousness daily. We can bring our sins to the Lord and confess our sins to the Lord and He forgives us daily, hourly. Walk with Him. Be led by Him. Pursue your life by faith in Him. This is the final answer to the question that we have been considering in the end of the chapter it's it's such an interesting way to end all of this talk about election, true Israel, false Israel, mercy and hardness what shall we say then? Gentiles who were never looking for righteousness have obtained righteousness in other words the people who are the most unworthy the people who do not deserve God's smile and favor are the ones who have found it that's the concluding lines of of this chapter Romans chapter 9 are you a murderer an adulterer are you a thief are you a blasphemer a fornicator consumer of pornography what sin is just the ultimate in shame in your heart and mind and in your life these are the things that you bring to God in confession he who believes on him will not be put to shame because his salvation is for sinners he came to seek and to save the lost he came to seek and to save sinners he came to eat meals And to preach to sinners so that sinners would hear the gospel. So that sinners would confess of their sin. Seek him for forgiveness and have eternal life. That is the closing lines of Romans chapter 9. Who is true Israel? Those who believe with the faith of Abraham. He believed God and his faith was credited to him as righteousness, says it right at the beginning of Romans chapter 4, says it right I think in, in, in Genesis chapter 15. This is the sweet gospel of eternal life that is only in Christ and I hope that you have been encouraged and find joy in the offer of forgiveness and hope in Christ. Let's take just a moment in prayer and and we'll close for this morning. Our Father in heaven, I thank you and praise you for your holy word. I thank you, God, that the gospel of forgiveness has been opened up and offered to we as Gentiles. God, I thank you for the promise of life in Christ. Oh Lord, convict each one of us of our sins. May May we continue to be engaged in the battle against sin.